The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. back everybody to another edition of Bubba the Bat Flip episode 30. You can find me on Twitter at BDM. We've got a special edition for you tonight. We'll have a special guest. We'll introduce him in just a second. We're going to preview the night or recap, not preview. It's already happened. Recap the 1994 baseball season, the strike shortened season. That was just insane because if you just listen to us for the last half hour, we were just enamored by everything that took place. So again, you can find me on Twitter at BDM and my co-host on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? Uh, we're doing great, Bubba. I'm excited to do this uh, special podcast, looking back at 1994, uh, having Brock on with us. I am, uh, I'm just jazzed. I spent a lot of time playing World Series Baseball 95 on Sega Genesis. That was like the baseball game of my life. And so I'm very familiar with a lot of these players, but just going back and looking at how much the game has changed is really exciting. So I'm excited to do that uh, tonight with both of you guys. And as Toby just mentioned, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Brock Ness Monster. Brock popped this up, and it was pretty cool of an idea. So, Brock, thanks for joining us. Can have a little fun tonight. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Um, talk about 1994. That's the year King Griffey Junior Baseball came out on Super Nintendo. Um, yes. I, I played a whole lot of that. This is like 1994 was one of the peak years for me. Collecting baseball cards, reading the stats in the back of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, little, little did I know 1994, um, would end up being quite an anomaly. So excited to talk about that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We're going to start out with just kind of the overview of what took place. Then we'll go deep diving into the stats. There's a lot of just insanity that took place for those that forgot the season ended in a strike, uh, took place on August 11th of 1994. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but when I was researching it, it really surprised me, especially with what's going on right now in a shortened season, how the minor leagues are getting affected. 
when the MLB went on strike, did you guys know that the minor leagues continue to play out the rest of their season? I didn't. I I did not know that, um, but I'm sure I attended a bunch of games. We we had a local single A team um, that we w- always went out and, and watched games. So I mean, I, I don't recall it specifically, um, but yeah, I'm sure I went to some of those. It's pretty crazy to me when I read that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I figured it would all go to to uh, everything would shut down. But one one of the takeaways outside of the crazy stats that uh, we saw were the the Montreal Expos that they were 34 games over 500. They looked like they were running away with the division. Um, and, and pretty much after that year, you look, talk to any Expos fan, you talk to Rob Silver, any of them, it pretty much ended from there. Uh, Toby, do you have anything on the Expos from 94? No, I mean, you know, it looked like they were they were in the driver's seat. Um, I think you had, you had mentioned in the notes, it was the first time with three uh, divisions, which is very interesting. I mean, just the game... Uh, before that, you know, with uh, without the wild card and with uh, just the two divisions playing each other uh, was something something else. But Expos looked like they were going to go up against the Yankees. Those were the only two teams that had a winning percentage above 600. The Yankees were 27 games uh, above 500 at 70 and 43, but not close to those uh, those Expos. They looked very, very good. Um, and that roster, like it wasn't a roster that had a superstar season necessarily, but it was just so deep. There were so many good players um, on that team at every position in that lineup, and and they they made it work. And then the pitching, uh, young Pedro Martinez, I believe, uh, was on that yeah. roster. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, it was it's it's a bummer for Montreal Expos fans. That looked like a incredible uh, season that was happening. Yeah, yeah Moises that was Pedro's first year, uh, first year in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Any other Expos thoughts, Brock? Besides the awesome blue jerseys they had. Yeah, the the jerseys. Really, everything about the Expos is uh, pretty awesome. Um, you know, still see a lot of people uh, around town and whatnot sporting Expos hats. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like I was saying, this was uh, right after the Delano DeShields trade. <laughs> um, Delano DeShields for Pedro Martinez. That did not work out for the Dodgers. But, yeah, Pedro's first year there in, in Montreal. Um, you know, and, and, and like uh, Toby said, it's not really uh, like they had a whole bunch of um, superstar standout seasons, but they had a great lineup. Uh, Moises Salou, Larry Walker, uh, you know, of course, a couple, you know, couple pretty great hitters right there and then uh will cordero had a huge season going yeah. um yeah they, he's on uh, pace for 2020 yeah yeah and back back when you know that wasn't a thing you know guys that mm-hmm. stole bases didn't hit home runs and guys that hit home runs didn't steal bases um ken hill uh and then the the closer john wetland they had john wetland. wetland i mean that the bullpen uh that was a that was a solid team yeah, a very, very solid team, and uh, it all kind of went to, went away after that. But they had a run. I saw a stat somewhere on Twitter that over, like, the 15 years prior to that, you put it all together, they were almost – I think they were the top team, top winning team in baseball for, like, 10 to 15 years, or at least in the top two or three. Like, they were a very successful team that just – it never came to be, and then it all just kind of fell apart uh, when that took place. Another interesting stat when you look at the standings when the, when the strike took place we talk about it with divisions th- these days, like in the NL West, it's Brock's division. The Dodgers just have control of, of that division. But, you know, you look at divisions like, say, the, the NL Central, where you have two to three teams that can compete and other divisions. 
The AL Central in 94 had uh, three teams, the White Sox, Indians, the Royals, that all were 13 games over 500. Brock, do you think we'll see anything like that ever again? Um, just the way that the teams are, are, are approaching things, um, you know, teams are either they look like they're favorites and they're adding. And, and if they're not favorites, if they don't feel like they're going to the playoffs, they're, they're selling guys off, you know, a lot of teams tanking, um, you know, based on that alone. No, I, I, I don't think you see it again. We, you know, we had some pretty competitive divisions, um, the last couple of years, but, uh, but not necessarily like three dominant teams like that. And, and the reason I want to bring up the standings and we're going to talk about standings is once we get to talk about the stats, you would think it'd be maybe more balanced like you just said it is these days because there were so many players putting up just crazy stats. But like we talk about the three teams, 13 games over 500. It was almost it was the it was the opposite in the AL West, Toby, where the Rangers led the AL West with a 52 and 62 record. So between the three teams over 13 games and then the Rangers, just how bananas is that? I mean, it's it's nuts. It's like when when the West played the Central in the AL, like the the AL must the Central must have won like every single game. I mean, a team that early in the season too, leading a division ten games under five hundred. Um, I mean, I I think Ivan Rodriguez was on that team, maybe a little Juan Gonzalez, uh, but that is uh that is that is an awful division. You just think about it, like. The Mariners with kind of their uh, their history, uh, the Angels with their history pre like you know early two thousands, um, pretty just uh, just a god awful division right there. There's not much else to say about it. Well, and you had the Mariners with Griffey and Randy Johnson both having amazing seasons, and they still couldn't put it together. So fun stuff on that one. Um, uh, I don't uh, know about Bubba, you guys. Bubba, what I want to know is is how on earth. Did the Giants, with some of the seasons that they put together, how on earth were they five games under five hundred? Oh, it's the Giants. It's Giants baseball. <laughs> that Giants, Giants before the twenty tens. A, a trivia question I got for Bubs: The Giants yes. in nineteen ninety four had three Gold Glove winners and three Silver Silver Slugger awards. Uh, can you name those? Okay. Um... If I had to do the, I was I was thinking. Um, okay, well, Barry Bonds was a Gold Glove winner and a Silver Slugger. Very good. Yes, that that one's that was the easy one. We're going to take the cupcake one there. Um, now it gets interesting because I'm pretty sure they're not going to always cross over here. Um, I'm going to say Matt Williams was a Silver Slugger. Yep. And I want to say oh, I'm going to get this one wrong. I want to say Will Clark. No, Will Clark. Yeah, okay. I knew I was gonna. I knew that, the third that one was gonna be tough. Crossed over like uh, Bonds, though. Oh, he, he does. He did both. Okay, Silver Slugger position. That gives you two and two there. You still got, still got one Gold Glove and and one Silver Slugger out there. So so they crossed over. Okay, uh, but the last one doesn't cross over. I'm guessing. Can I get that clue at least? Right, right. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go Gold Glover, I'm gonna go Darren Lewis in center field. Yep, very good. Yeah, D. Lou? Yep, D. Lou was there. Now, to go with the Silver Slugger Award, this is going to be good. I want to get weird and say it's probably a pitcher. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say it's a pitcher, but I, I don't know which one. Very Dude, that's awesome. That is that is 10 <laughs> million times better than I would have done is Mark, Mark uh, Portugal. 
Right. Yep, because they had Portugal back in the day. They had Don Robinson. They had Rick Russell. They always had a big dude that could just drop bombs. Like and then Bumgarner eventually, yeah. but they always had a guy that could drop a bomb. Yeah, they had go- those guys and Will Clark, and, and still couldn't pull together. No, no, that's just I, I, until like I know I can't complain anymore. But up till 2010, trust me, there were so many years where I just want to be like, why is this not yeah. happening? Why? <laughs> yeah. But but yes, I get it. I get it. Um. When I was putting the outline together, I put this on here just kind of as a joke to remind everybody, but I forgot when it actually took place. 1994, minus all the awesomeness that took place in season, that was the year Michael Jordan decided to hang up the sneakers and play baseball. Do you guys have any fond Michael Jordan thoughts on playing baseball? I I, I have a memory of it, um, and that was his uh, first baseball card. Um, yes. in, in a White Sox jersey came out on uh, from Upper Deck, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. I wanted it so bad, yep. and and that's that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, anything from you? A lot else to remember. Yeah, I remember. I think he played at Birmingham. Is yep. that right? Yep. Yeah, Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah, I, I remember the, his minor league stint. I think more than his his major league stint. Um, because he was – he, I mean, I should know this, but he was in the majors, right? I'm not, I'm not yes. making that up. He yeah. played a couple games, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Michael Jordan. And how bad was he? I've got to look this up. I couldn't find him on yeah, Fangraph for some reason. I'm clicking we're it all, up. We're all, we're all searching. Wait, he's um, not even on Fangraphs? That's amazing. Yeah, he's not on Baseball Reference either. Oh, my goodness. He played actual – uh, we are going to look He's, into this. He, went, he paid a lot of money to have that record scrubbed. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. He lost that bet too, I'm guessing. Oh, he was so bad he disappeared. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. I guess He's you got, got enough money to make anything happen. Oh, right? Yeah, because the only Michael Jordan on baseball reference is Mike Jordan from 1890. Yeah. So, you know what? Oh, yeah, guys, tri- a trivia question. Hey, guess how many uh, – guess one thing that all three of us have in common with Michael Jordan. We don't have a baseball reference page. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> right. So, I swore he played major league like in the pros. He ha- he did. Yeah, he definitely did. That is I definitely recall did. spring training. He got an well, opportunity sure. with uh, big league uh, guys in spring training. <sighs> oh, this is wild now. I don't. I don't. I don't this is going to happen a lot on the show. Just for the listeners, this is going to happen a lot on the show because, like, literally the first half hour before this, we were just going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. So it's going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm literally just googling Michael Jordan baseball stats and see. All what right, comes check, check, check this out. This is what I'm getting so far. Um, Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls in '94 to join the Chicago White Sox Double A minor league team, the Birmingham Barons. He batted just two hundred two, two eighty nine, two sixty six. And played outfield in his only season in baseball. Yeah, he played 127 he games in 94. Report? Was he good at 30? defense? <laughs> he stole 30 Long bags. Lengthy. He stole 30 bags, but he was thrown out 18 times. Oh, the, <laughs> got, uh, you found his baseball reference page, I take it? Uh, 11 outfield errors tied the league lead. This Guess who amazing. his manager was? Oh, Terry Francona. Really? Oh my god, yeah. Tito and Triple A. Amazing. Or double, double A. My bad. Double A. He was 31 years old. I guess it's worse than Tim Tebow. <laughs> it's, it's kind of similar. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, this is unbelievable. 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That, I don't. I, I don't know if he ever played. I don't think he no, ever played a real game. Yeah, it appears he only double A. He he got a chance at spring training, then played double A that one year and called it quits. Wow! Wow! That is awesome. Wow. Our memory, my, our memory served us incorrectly there. I mean, this is going back. Bases, this is twenty-five steals. years. Goodness gracious! Thirty stolen bases, hundred and fourteen strikeouts, hundred and fourteen, and four hundred thirty-six at bats. Ooh, that that's like a twenty-five percent or so K rate. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Which this in '94, the league average strikeout rate was fifteen point nine percent in the major. Sound as bad now, but yeah. Oh man, that is crazy. All right, one of the last bits here before we get into the stats. It's a trivia question that it sounds silly, but it's actually mentioned many, many times. Um, on opening day, Tuffy Rhodes hit three home runs in his first three at-bats. Did you realize that was the first person to ever do it in three straight at-bats? Because I did not. Man, I, that's that's pretty wild. I, you know, it's it's 2020, I think, of everything in in terms of DFS and – I could just imagine myself checking box scores at the end of the night and being like, opening day, 1994, the yeah. day you had to have Tuffy, Tuffy Rhodes, Rhodes in your DFS lineups. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the $2,200 Tuffy Rhodes. Tuffy Rhodes <laughs> yeah, like 40 points. home runs in his entire career. <laughs> oh, 13 man. home runs in his entire career, and three of them were to start off the season. And in three consecutive, consecutive at-bats. At-bats. Yeah. <laughs> And I can't remember, I was reading, I think it was off of, okay, I, I might be totally wrong here. I thought it was off of Doc Gooden, too, at least two of them. Oh, you um, guys, this is amazing. MLB Network to air the Tuffy Rhodes game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad setting. We're airing the, the Tuffy Rhodes game right now. That's oh, how bad times are. I don't know if that's awesome or sad. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah, oh, that, that's a little bit of both there. Yeah. But uh, that's that's crazy. Okay, we'll move on from that. But I thought that was pre- pretty wild stuff there. Again, no postseasons, first time since 1904, so 90 years in between that. Um, rookie of the year, I know we we obviously have the outline in front of us. Nationally, was Rayo Mondesi. I remember Rayo Mondesi. I know Brock remembers oh, Rayo yeah. Mondesi. Uh, that cannon of the outfield. Toby, yeah. do you remember Rayo Mondesi? Oh, of course. I mean, he had to be like – he got 30-30 at least one year, right? At some yeah, point in his career. Should have. Yeah, 30-30. He, had the tools he, did, it, it, right? he, did, it, he did it twice. Why? But in yeah. Toronto, right? He did right? it twice, 97 and 99 with the Dodgers. He didn't quite get there with the Blue Jays. But, yeah. Mm. yeah pretty decent okay. right there for Toronto. And, like, I knew most of us would remember Royal Bonacy – I'll be totally honest. The AL rookie of the year was Bob Hamlin. And if anybody knows anything about Bob Hamlin, you have the floor now because I had no idea who he was. But he somehow had 24 home runs in 1994. I I, I definitely remember him. He 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 looked like – what was he like? 6'2", 240, looked like an accountant. With, with glasses, dude. Coke really? bottom. Yeah, yeah those, those you wore the glasses. Glasses. Six, glasses. Six foot, 235. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, I was right on. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 he was terrible. I remember yeah, he, his um his upper deck card, I think, or something like that. I remember. Yeah. I Donruss might have been the one that I had. Yep. Okay. 
I got to look. I collected all those cards. I probably had something, but the fact he only played from 93 to 98 and he had a career strikeout percentage of almost 20% was pretty good. Yeah, he was bad. Nothing on defense. Yeah, steal bases. Yeah, decent walk rate, though, man. I'm looking at his OBP wasn't, you know, horrible. He had a pretty decent one a couple years there. Yeah, he can get on base, but yeah, he was he was one of those guys like 24, you know, and but you know, that's the thing, you know, the couple years leading up to that, 24 home runs for a rookie, that was that was kind of a big deal, but you know, didn't offer a ton of value, no defensive value. Yeah. Pretty brutal stuff. But uh the fun begins with the pitching. The Cy Young Awards. We'll start with the the first one, David Cohn. Cy Young. Toby, you got anything on David Cohn Cy Young year? David Cohn's Cy Young year is super interesting because it just shows you how much our knowledge or how we value baseball has changed. And this isn't to discredit David Cohn. I mean, he's a great announcer. He was an absolutely terrific pitcher, you know, at this point in time, but strikeouts were so much harder to get and people didn't have as much of an understanding of like Babbitt and wins were huge, right? The guy who ended up getting like 20 wins each year was the guy who won it. And for Cone, like that's that's what he did. He had 16 wins um, that season. The ERA was really nice, uh, 294, but only 132 strikeouts in 171 innings with a 239 Babbitt and a 77% strand rate. So, like in a lot of ways, it was just he lucked into wins. He lucked into a low Babbitt and a higher strand rate than he had throughout most of his career, and then he gets the Cy Young as a result of that. And one of the fun things about doing this is the reason why I think Brock started this whole conversation was we're on a shortened season now. So David Cohen, 25 games started, 202 innings pitched. Um, nowadays, if we saw 25 games started, we'd be happy if the guy got to 150. That'd be like, okay, good. Um, David Cohen was a workhorse, 194 or more innings pitched every year from 88 to 2008. Did you have anything on David Cohn, Brock? Um, yeah, David Cohn, and, and it was kind of um similar thing, kind of crosses over to Greg Maddox, uh, same thing, kind of like you were saying there, only 25 starts, same thing for Greg Maddox. Um, so you, you said Cohn had, you know, 194 innings there. Uh, Maddox, this was peak Maddox. Maddox had 202 innings. You know, if you proportion that up for a full season, you're talking like 280 innings out of these guys. Um, and, and it wasn't just uh, the, the volume there, you know, Greg Maddox, you know, 0.18 home runs per nine innings. Um, yeah, these guys were amazing, and they pitched a lot. Yeah, I was gonna. Add, I was gonna say you said 25 starts for Maddox. Um, if you guys did, haven't cheated yet, which you might have, going through all the stuff, do you know how many complete games he had in those 25 starts? Oh, it's got to be like 20. No. Brock, mm, I'm, I'm trying to cheat right now. <laughs> No, it's lower than that. Okay. You okay. see it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10. But here's the fun part. How many of those 10s were shutouts? Don't click I the one to the right. Yeah, three shutouts. Like in, in this era of baseball we see today, the only way you're getting complete games for the most part is if you're shutting a guy out or getting a no-hitter or a perfect game. The fact he had seven of those 10 complete games weren't shutouts just shows you – how dominant he was. There's a reason they have the nickname the Maddox, you know, a complete game with a fewer than 100 pitches. The dude was a beast. You look at his, you mentioned, that, you know, 202 innings in 25 starts. In 93, 267 innings, 268, 92, 263, 
in 91. You just didn't see things like that anymore. He was absolutely ridiculous when it came to um, to pitching. It, it, it was a sight to see. Um, I, I did want to ask one reliever question because I doubt you guys cheated there just yet. But I think this one's fun. Um, so Rod Beck, another giant. Rod he Beck. Fin- he finished 47 games. Finished 47 games. But how many saves did he have? man 30 close so he i think i looked at this did he lead the league that year no no uh well he 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 was second in the national league third overall he was second okay somebody had an obscene amount of saves somebody had like 38 saves lee smith had 33 or 33 there you go yeah, in the short season, which is pretty insane. Rod Beck had 28 saves, so he finished 19 other games he didn't save. Another thing we don't see in baseball these days. Mm-hmm. Very so, interesting. You mentioned John Wedland, 25 saves. It's just it was it was pretty pretty wild. It just stood out to me. Uh, different eras, and like you guys are going to dig into in a bit here, comparing the two. It just pretty pretty cool stuff. Looking at these guys. Um, and you now, know, real quick about about yeah. John Wetland, Another note about him. So he led that team with 25 saves and, and in a shortened season there, Mel Rojas also had 16. On the Expos? On the Expos. Oh, wow. Yeah. So between those two guys, uh, you know, 41 saves out of what, you know, 113 games. Oh man. That's uh that's efficiency is the way, uh, best way I'll say it. Efficiency. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, this is a, a flashback lefty for me. So we mentioned David Cohn, who in these days was on the Royals. He had 16 saves. We mentioned Maddox with 16 saves. Do you guys know who was leading baseball in – I mean wins? Do you know who was leading baseball in wins? Jimmy Key. Yeah. Jimmy Key was 17. I can, like, picture that little lefty, soft little lefty. That was wild times. Wild stuff. <laughs> this is Jimmy, so much fun. <laughs> Jimmy Key in his 5.2 strikeouts per nine. <laughs> Yeah, just so everybody knows, Toby is infatuated with the strikeouts. But I'm reading a lot of good stuff on this. Oh, it's, man. It's, just, it's crazy. Jimmy Key and his 6.3% K minus walk rate. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, let's talk. He's, he's uh, essentially Alex Cobb. I mean, let's be honest. Yes. Oh, man. Without the light. Let's talk about the MVPs real quick before we get to the deeper stats. Two, like there could have been many MVPs for me this year. Like Cy Youngs, there could have been a couple more, but I think they nailed those pretty good. When it comes to MVP, these two guys deserved it, but there's some really close seconds. In the AL, it was Frank Thomas. And I know, Toby, you you were um, – or one of you guys, I can't remember which one it was, was yeah. tweeting or texting me stuff. So, Toby, can have the floor first. Frank Thomas. Um, Frank Thomas's year in 94 was just absolutely insane. So, his WRC plus – was 205. His WOBA for for 113 games was 499. He hit 353 with a 487 OBP and a 729 slug. And my favorite of all of them is he had a 21% walk rate and a 12% K rate. So like you're talking about a guy who was at the pinnacle of power really like in baseball who had an insanely good eye, who made a crap ton of contact. Now, they don't have all the contact metrics and like the super granular stuff at this point in time in baseball, but you can just imagine like a guy with 
you know, a really high, you know, like a 90% contact rate and just an incredible eye. Like, it's just amazing to me the year that he put up a 499 Woba for a full, I mean, not a full season, but 517 plate appearances. I mean, the 38 home runs is impressive, but like other people did that. Like what he did was just absolutely remarkable. And we forget like how good of a hitter he was. He hit 300 for eight consecutive seasons. He had more walks than strikeouts for seven consecutive seasons. Like, 100 runs for seven consecutive seasons, 100 RBIs for seven consecutive seasons. Like this guy was just an incredible hitter for a very long time. What are your thoughts on uh, Big Frank's season there, Brock? Yeah, so um, even though as a Dodgers fan, uh, I've I've watched and we've had this conversation on Twitter um, before uh, WGN and and TBS, always Mm -hmm. had Braves games, always had Cubs games, always had White Sox games. And so Frank Thomas was my favorite player, um, even though I was a Dodgers fan. And so I, I actually watched a lot of Frank Thomas back then. Um, and I, I believe this is the year I went to um, my my mom got me tickets. I went to Angels games to see Frank Thomas and King Griffey Jr. And they both hit home runs on, on the games that I went to. So nice. um, that was super exciting. But a little bit of context with Frank Thomas, you know, the, those numbers that Toby's talking about, 205 weighted runs created plus is amazing. Um, for a little bit of context, Mike Trout, um, his his best season of his career, uh, of course, you know, Mike Trout obvious, obviously offers a lot of defense that Frank Thomas didn't. But just offense alone, 2018, Mike Trout had a 190 weighted runs created plus and a 447 WOBA. And, you know, Frank Thomas, 205 weighted runs created plus. Um, and the 440 or 499 Woba. I mean, that is a significant margin uh, between the season Frank Thomas was putting up there and and then the best that Mike Trout's ever done. That's that's something else. And and you know, a lot of it comes from the power and stuff like that. Like like Toby said, you know, over 20% strike or walk rate, 12% strikeout rate, um, kind of unbelievable combination of power and and contact there. Um, it's kind of a, a a funny correlation here between Frank Thomas and then over in the National League, the the MVP in the National League, Jeff Bagwell, um, also mm-hmm. had a 205 weighted runs created plus, um, but he also had 15 stolen bases. Yep, the steals were impressive. Fewer walks, Wobo was a little lower, just a bit, but uh, everything else almost in line. More RBIs, 15 more rubies with those stolen bases. I think people forget that with bags and. Obviously, what towards the end of his career, a little bigger guy happened to a lot of these boys in the in the '90s when they finished their careers. But uh, I looked back and saw some pictures of Bagwell from '94, and a lot uh, skinnier, smaller boy that uh, was running around the bags. And I don't even think he had the big, you know, brick uh, batting glove that that covered his hand to uh, protect himself. That. that thing is crazy. Like I don't think uh, I don't think he had that back in the day. So the steals are crazy. Like um, he wasn't Barry Bonds though, but like Larry Walker, 15 steals, only 19 homers. So yeah, Bags, Bags, and Frank Thomas; those two seasons are uh, pretty remarkable. But uh, you know, it had to be runner up to Frank Thomas. You know, the aforementioned Joey Bell, aka Albert Bell, had a oh, yeah. monstrous. He hit three fifty seven, so he had a better average than Frank, but a lower WRC plus, uh, two fewer homers, uh, seven twelve fewer like runs. <laughs> yeah, like he he crushed it. Uh, Albert Bell did. So that one stood out to me as interesting. 
Um, a little quiet season, not nearly the home runs or anything, but Paul O'Neill still had 21 homers at 359. Paul freaking O'Neill. Like 460 OBP. <laughs> um, any other hitters stand out to you, The Rock? Yeah, th- those were uh, pretty much the guys. It's um, but I'm I'm looking at the list, and definitely the one that does stand out is um, we, we were just kind of laughing about this, but Bob Hamlin is up there. He was 13th yeah. in weighted runs created plus. I mean, a 146 weighted runs created plus in 101 games. That's legit. That doesn't happen often. Um, kind of propped that up with a 15% walk rate and a in a 16% K rate. Um, you know, 24 home runs is, is, you know, 101 games is, is decent there, but, uh, I don't know. He was good that year. Yeah, you, you wonder if he went like full Frank the tank and just blacked out for 101 games. And, and because you look at the rest of his stats, it's kind of like, what just happened? Yeah. But, uh, I was just the same guy. Yeah. Just, just nuts. But, uh, then there's Barry Bonds, 37 homers, 29 stolen base. We'll get to him in a minute. Toby's got a cool stat for him. It, he just had a, a, a nuts season. So let's get to some of those key stats. A, pit, a hitter we didn't mention because we saved him for here. But Tony Gwynn, sure, he doesn't have the power. He's been an interesting uh, discussion on Twitter. Chris Towers and some others have been going back and forth on, you know, Tony Gwynn versus Joey Votto, which could be a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, Gwynn's always been that big average guy. And in 475 plate appearances, 110 games, so obviously shortened season, he hit 394, 394 with a 389 BABIP. Um, any thoughts on this? Four percent strikeout rate. I mean, his career strikeout rate was four point two percent, which is just insane. Um, and this was the point in his career. I feel like where earlier on in his career he had a bunch of speed. You know, fifty six stolen bases, forty stolen bases, thirty seven, thirty three. You know, it's just it's so hard to compare guys from this era to the era that we're in now because the game is just so much different. The pitching. Whether it would, whether I mean, the pitching talent is just so much better than it was uh, at, at this at this point in time. Like the four percent strikeout rate, you know, is incredible in any time. But at the same, you know, in the same stretch, like if you hit, you know, if you hit like single digits home runs, you're like one of a handful of guys across the league that'll do that over six hundred plate appearances. That just doesn't that just doesn't fly as much. Not to say that Gwyn wouldn't be able to play like at this point in time, but you know, you look at some of these seasons towards the end of his career, half war, half, half a war, 0.2 war, uh, you know, 2.1, 1.2, even in 95, 2.3 war. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Tony Gwynn was super good and he was an incredible hitter. I always grew up thinking of him as kind of like the best hitter since I had no power whatsoever growing up. Uh, I was, I was can't contact only approach. Um, but you know, you can just see him shooting those balls to left center, like over and over and over again on repeat. Brock, do you think if they play a full season, Tony gets 400? Well, I, I, I think that's, um, I, I recall seeing a few articles about that. Um, I mean, so at 394, um, that far into the season, you know, creeping into August like that, um, you, you, you definitely have a chance. Um, Remember just last season how much we talked about hitting 400 with with Cody Bellinger, and mm-hmm. remember all he did was hit 400, in essence, for one month. You know, <laughs> yeah. after April, he he didn't get close to hitting 400 after April. You know, and, and we still spent uh, a great deal of of time talking about that. So yeah, imagine if. 
Cody Bellinger was carrying a 394 coming into August, uh, <laughs> you know, what a big story that would have been. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, just to make it simple, a 400 average is going two for five pretty much every game. That is ridiculous to think about because then you think about the 0 for 4 days. That means there's yeah. many other, like, 3 for 4, 4 for 4, 4 for 5 days to offset it. And he, he did that with so, such ease, it felt like at times. It was just ridiculous watching Tony Gwynn uh, swing a bat and, and hit a baseball. Uh, Greg Maddox, we hit on him earlier, but 156 ERA. Uh, we, we, re- we revel at um, Pedro Martinez, his amazing season where he had the, the, the low two ERA. Brock, do you think we'll ever see a guy sub two ERA anymore? You know, um, with, with, with the way the things have, have gone, and, you know, I don't really have the numbers pulled up to, um, to back it up, but it is, as much as the approach has changed at the plate um, and it's rewarding some of these, these hitters, you know, you're getting a lot of guys, you know, posting 25 home run seasons where these are guys where, you know, back in the past, you know, they probably maybe they only hit 10 or 12 home runs. Um, so guys are hitting a few more home runs. But I think, you know, at the same time, things are being specialized at, at you know, just on the other side of things for, for pitchers as well. And so while we're seeing a lot of, of hitters put up some some huge seasons, we're also seeing a lot of pitchers put up some pretty huge seasons. I mean, you know, just last year, the uh, two pitchers for the Astros there, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, those guys put up, uh, you know, some pretty gaudy numbers there. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, with the way those guys, I, I think, you know, Clayton Kershaw uh, put up a 1.9 ERA uh, a couple of years ago. I, I, I think we're, we're kind of um, the game's moving to where we're getting a lot of extreme outcomes. You know, you're getting a lot of like really good hitters and a lot of really good pitchers. And, and um, I, I definitely think that uh, I, I, I think while the ERAs um, overall are kind of creeping up, the um, top seasons every season are also getting a little bit better. So I, I, I think in uh, looking at it that way, I, I think, you know, we have a couple of them coming up. What about you, Toby? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it'll probably happen again. I think Brock's right on. Like, there are some really good pitchers out there, and I think when you get, you know, just by the the law of averages, you're going to at some point get like a 90th percentile season from one of those type of guys, and I think that's when you end up seeing it. The thing that I always think about with Maddox, and again, like I'm not trying to crap on all the like pitchers who were pitching at this time, but when you see some of the old games and you see the strike zone, that they were working with, like, you know, the, the sinker on the outside edge of the plate to uh, to the right-handed handed hitters. And by edge of the plate, I mean, like, you know, a half a foot off the plate. Uh, <laughs> those calls that Maddox and those guys used to get all the time. I think the game is very, uh, the game is very different now. And Maddox, what he did was incredible because he did that during a time when you know, what he was doing was well above average. It was elite. Uh, it was Hall of Fame type career. But it's just interesting. I always wonder, like, you know, if anybody's done an analysis of what the strike zone looked like in 94 versus now for pitchers, just to see, like, you know, how much how much wider the strike zone, if, if it is. I mean, that's like the way my brain thinks about it, is that it was wider back in the day. But, you know, who knows? It would be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, See, see what the difference was. Yeah, those Braves could definitely pitch back, uh, paint the corners and pitch back in the day. Let's put it that way. They definitely could pull that one off. I'll, I'll give either one of you guys this one just for fun. 
It was always Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox. But who was the fourth that was supposed to be good? And never really was. Steve Avery. There you go. You got it. Yeah, I figured as much. I, I remember those cards. They Steve always like, it was like the it was like the little brother they kept trying to bring along. It just never worked out. Yeah, all the time. What's amazing is like to Brock's point earlier, like because of TBS, I grew mm-hmm. up like watching so many yep. of those games, you know. I think I think we all did. Like we'd come home from school and they're on TV. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. Totally. Did you guys yeah. ever watch Home Run Derby, the black and white home run? I derby? I've tweeted about this is the time they should bring them all back. I would watch that religiously. Oh, for sure. I think they should do it during the off season. Just have like a bunch of the kids go to like some go to Mexico, go wherever you want, find a ball field, and just tape like twenty episodes, and so we can watch them. Whatever, like I'd be so in. Think about how much fun, like with the battles. Like you mentioned, Bellinger, Acuna, uh, Vladito, all those guys just doing a home run derby TV show. How amazing that would be! I mean, the home run last year's home run derby was insane. The Jock Peterson. Uh, Vlad, Vlad. Was, it, was it Vlad? No, it was uh, yeah, it was Vlad. It was Vlad. It was Vlad. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Definitely an awesome deal. You know what was crazier is Kenny Lofton. He had sixty stolen bases at the break, and sixty stolen bases in a full season nowadays would be like number one, your first easy first round draft pick in fantasy wise. But he had sixty. Vince Coleman had fifty. Otis Nixon forty two. For all of us that remember the old days, these were your base dealers: BGO, Dion Sanders. Marquise Grissom, but uh, Kenny Lofton had 60, and Toby, you equated out what his pace was. You said 86 stolen bases. That is just nuts. Yeah, I mean, he was – what really is remarkable to me about the stolen bases guy, d- guys during this time is that I feel like now we have a bunch of guys who steal a lot of bases, but they don't get on base. Like, they're not high OBP stolen base guys, like a lot of the elite speedsters. So, like Billy now. Hamilton? Yeah, like Billy Hamilton, Malik Smith. Like when you can get a guy who's got a decent OBP who also steal, steals bases, it's just huge. But you look at some of the guys during this time. I mean, Lofton, you know, walked 10% of the time, so above league average. Otis Nixon walked 12% of the time. Biggio walked 12% of the time. Um, and then you have this group of guys, like most of the guys on this list have double-digit walk. Most of the guys on the list of most stolen bases that season had double-digit walk totals. And it just makes you think, like, what what happened to the guys who had, you know, speed, who could get on base? You know, like, the game should have evolved. I mean, obviously, the stolen bases are worth less now because of the home runs. But, you know, at the same time, like, a guy who can get on base and steal second is so valuable. But I'm also wondering, like, Otis Nixon had zero home runs in 461 mm-hmm. plate appearances. Like why on earth were pitchers walking him 12% of the time, right? Like <laughs> where is the, where is the the fastball right down the middle, you know? And so I think that's obviously, I think changed a little bit, like the approach of pitchers and um, velocity has something to do with that as well, but just interesting to me. And I think to Brock's point earlier, like guys who stole bases didn't hit home runs. And guys who hit home runs didn't really steal bases except for Barry Bonds. Yeah, and K- Kenny Lofton reminded me of Willie Mays Hayes. I swear, like, that's who they made, they model him after in, oh, yeah. uh, in Major League. It had to be. Like, that was the guy. But, Brock, I want to ask you about another guy on this list because he's a former Giant turned Dodger. And he hit 314 with eight homers and 27 steals. And he was on one of your Twitter lists. I want you to, to wax poetically about Brett Butler. 
Awesome. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I tweeted this story. I'll uh, I'll go over it again real quick. You know, so my favorite, you know, obviously Frank Thomas, my favorite player, my favorite Dodger though was uh, was Brett Bugler. Um, he played center field, and one of the games, the the old the first game that I can recall going to probably wasn't my first game, but the one that I remember to, um, he hit a home run out, out to center field. We were sitting in the bleachers out there, um, came out the next inning, waved everybody out there. So I was instantly a fan. Um, yeah. And, and Brett Butler, I, like I was, you know, you have this, these images of these guys, you know, Brett Butler is a guy who's a great bunter, of course, mm-hmm. um, bunted a lot, you know, you, you think of those kind of guys, those, those scrappy hitters, you know, and, and you don't think of them as like being good hitters, you know, like he 27 stolen bases and, you know, maybe he, he could uh, run it down to center field. And that's, that's how he had a job there. I mean, he had a 138 weighted runs created plus that year, you know, only, only eight home runs, like you said there, um, but a 14% uh, walk rate, 10% strikeout rate. Um, he, you know, he got on base over 40% of the time um, for a little bit of context there. Uh, Mookie Betts for his career is a 135 weighted runs created plus. I mean, Brett Butler is a 138 that year, so um, definitely could run it down in in center field. But uh, you know, like you said, those guys they they stole bases, but uh, they could really hit too. Um, another thing, you know, and there's, there's another one about Kenny Lofton. You know, he was on pace for 86 steals that year. He had a 142 weighted runs created plus. I mean, these guys weren't just uh, you know stealing bases; they they could hit. Yeah, that's that's what's pretty crazy about him. And let, let's go to some of the the other big boppers here. The two guys that led baseball at the strike in home run, Matt Williams, we talked about him earlier, 43 home runs, uh, and uh, King Griffey Jr. at 40, the two guys over 40 home runs. I remember as a Giants fan, everyone was distraught that Matt Williams was going to break the record. He's going to hit over 62. Who knows if that would have happened? Maybe. Do either one of you guys, we'll start with you, Brock. Do you think Williams or Griffey or any of these guys, because Bagwell at 39, Thomas 38, Bonds 37, do you think any of these guys would have broken the record that year in another 30 to 40 games? Um, you know, I don't know about breaking the record. You know, you you get into the fall, especially Matt Williams being up there in San Francisco. Um, I, I, I think we all remember that was 1994's Candlestick, correct? Yes, yeah. Candlestick with the rappers and everything. It was always fun. Yeah, so you get, you know, like August, late August and, and September when the wind was blowing out there and stuff like that. It it had been tough for him at home. Um, you know, King Griffey Jr. wasn't in a great park, but he um, made, made it work. I, you know, that that's that's tough. Um, it's tough to say, um, but I will say that I, I do recall um, watching inter- interviews with these guys. Um, this was only a couple of years ago, too. I think the most recent one was with Frank Thomas. I was watching an interview and he was talking about 1994 um, and, and he said, you know, I was super bummed about it. You know, everybody kind of knew, you know, a lot of guys were having big years. He was like, that was kind of, you know, my year that, that, you know, I had a great chance at 50 home runs. And and of course, you know, he never hit 50 home runs, you know, as much power as he had and as good a hitter as he was, he never hit 50. Um, You know, he was like, I, I know, you know, kind of the sentiment from some of these other guys, you know, they, they were kind of thinking the same thing. You know, this was a year that, that they were going to put up those big numbers and um, they, they really didn't get a chance to. What about you, Toby? You think any, any of them would have uh, done it? Uh, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a full downer, but I don't, I, I mean, they're, they weren't pacing to do it. Like they were definitely close and I would, I would have probably, even though, 
Williams was like three home runs up. I mean, Griffey was just such a good hitter. I mean, he was incredible. I was looking this up. Center fielders during the day, like they did not hit for power at all. He had 21 more home runs than any other center fielder in Major League Baseball. Second was Ray Langford with 19, and he had 40 during that season. So uh, just an incredible talent there. Uh, what what I remember most though is just Matt Williams' batting stance. You know how he used yep. to eat. He used to eat his shoulder. Yep. You know he'd be like gnawing on his shoulder when he was up to bat. I always remember that him him Bonds and then Will Clark. I know Will Clark was your favorite player and my favorite player for a while there too, uh, Bubba. Growing up, but all of them had such distinct stances. Uh, batting stances. You know they yep. were so fun to emulate, like playing in the in the front yard or or whatnot. So uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned candlestick. Uh, for those that didn't enjoy candlestick the way I did many times, if you uh, stayed there for a night game and went extra innings, it was so miserable and cold there. They gave you a button saying that you survived an extra inning game at candlestick. <laughs> so, um, my, like my dad has probably twenty of them on a hat that he used to wear at all the games. So um, that was a thing. And then this '94 season, I remember very clearly. This was when uh, the bleachers were in left field, not the old. Orange seats, they actually moved the, the metal bleachers in the left field mm. so you can make all the noise on them, and uh, that was always highly entertaining. Uh, we've talked Bagwell a couple times. He had 116 RBIs, Toby. You mentioned he was on pace for 166 RBIs. Like We talked Nolan Arenado is like the big RBI guy. 166 is just insanity to me. Yeah, he was, he was, so, he was so good that year. Uh, I mean, Bagwell was just – he was incredible for a number of years. Just absolutely insane numbers in World Series Baseball 95. I would always like you could do this uh, thing. It was like way ahead of its time. You could draft, you could draft play teams like where you just take the whole MLB pool and you draft guys. And it was kind of like my first foray into fantasy baseball because there were guys towards the end of the draft, like Jim Tome, where they were one tool guys, where he had like a nine out of nine on power and nothing else, but you could hit a crap ton of, of home runs with him. So it was like identifying those late round sleepers uh, that could help you out a lot. But Bagwell was probably my favorite guy to have just because, you know, like him and Frank Thomas were the the guys who had like nines across the board in every hitting category. And um, just an incredible season that, that those Astros teams were so much fun. I mean, the killer bees while they were going, were just uh, were, were a lot of fun. I know that was a little bit later, but. Um, just a, an awesome, uh, an awesome, an awesome player. Here's some trivia. Who was he traded for? He was a Red Sox prospect and he got <sighs> traded to Houston. I remember hearing this one before. It's almost as bad as the John Smoltz Detroit to Atlanta trade. Uh, not quite as bad as Chris Archer to the Pirates trade though. <laughs> um, we'll see Austin uh, Meadows when he wins his MVP. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. No. It's, it's Larry Anderson. Oh, yeah, never, never would have got it. Yeah, Larry Anderson, man. <laughs> I, I, I have another trivia question. Um, what MLB player shared, well, not just shared a birthday, but was born on the exact same day as Jeff Bagwell? What MLB player? Yep. Same day as Bagwell. May 27, 1968. Who shared that, that date of birth? I have no idea. I'll go with Dante Bichette. I have no idea. Toby? Uh, 1968. That's a good one. I don't know. I'll go Frank Thomas. <laughs> How about Tim, Tim Salmon? Frank Thomas. Is oh, it is? Oh, yep. man. Oh, wow. Yep. Awesome. yep. These guys, two first basemen, 
Um, massive hitters, a couple of the best players their, their generation, um, both Hall of Famers. At, or yeah, Bagwell yeah, they just they're both in. Right? Yep, they're both yeah. in. Yeah, um, but Barry Bonds yeah. isn't just so we're all counting. Yeah, we don't need that, that. That 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 that'll start me on a whole downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weird thing. Born on the exact same that's, day. That's cool. That is crazy trivia. Crazy right there. Um, speaking of Barry Bonds, 37 homers, 29 stolen bases, 312 average, 173 WRC plus. This is this is still skinny Barry Bonds days. He's got the big cross earring coming out the ear. Um, he's got the waggle at the plate. And Toby, what did you project him to finish with that year? Yeah, so I just took uh, the number of plate appearances he was averaging per game and put it out to 155 games. He was on pace for 51 stolen bases and f- or 51 home runs and 40 stolen bases. A 50-40 season is what he was on pace for. He had 15% walk rate and a 9% K rate. Like, I mean, this is what kills me about Bonds not being in the Hall of Fame is like, you know, who knows whether he was he was juicing or not by this point, but the guy already had three MVPs under his belt. Like by this time, he was just the greatest player of our generation who happened to join everybody else in doing roids and and being so much better uh, than everybody else. I mean, he had like in in 90 with the Pirates, 33 home runs, 52 stolen bases, 30, 30, like 34 home runs, 39 stolen bases with a 311 average for the Pirates. Like he was just doing, he's just an, inc- an incredible, incredible player. I won't even get into his like early 2000 season with the Giants just because they're a joke. Um, you know, his six to one walk to K rate, you know, but um, it's a travesty. He's not in there, but his, his 94 was just absolutely uh, phenomenal. Anything on him, Brock? I, there's, we, we could do a whole podcast yes. on him and, and we, maybe we should, I don't know. Maybe, but- yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm looking at his, his his page. We might have to do that because I just pulled it up. A 298 career average, 20% walk rate to 12% K rate his career. Like you just keep going, but it's a uh, wow. And he's not the whole thing. He has the four best seasons by WRC plus in the last 25 years. All four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we might have to do something like that. Um, Toby, I'll let you take the next one. You have an interesting stat here that stood out uh, quite surprisingly. Oh, yeah. Well, I just thought that this was kind of uh, funny. Uh, Carlos Baerga, who, you know, great player uh, during his day, uh, he had the lowest walk rate in baseball uh, that year with a 2.1% walk rate. So just to put that in uh, perspective, the the overall walk rate in baseball at the time was 8.9%, which is higher than what it is right now um, by almost 1%. And Tim Anderson had last year, you know, we know Tim Anderson does not walk. He had a 2.9% uh, walk rate. And so you're talking about Carlos Baerga having worse plate discipline than uh, our buddy Tim Anderson during a time when he was, when people had great plate discipline. Like he was just an absolute anomaly. And I never remember that at all about him but um I, that year was kind of special for him in terms of the low walk rate but it just kind of stood out to me because 
you know, he still put up a 314 season with 19 home runs, 80-80, you know, and only 400 and a little over 450 plate appearances. So still a great season, but I just thought that that was uh, a little funny, having that low of a walk rate uh, during that period of time. And anytime you can throw Carlos Baerga into the conversation, I, I think it works. I feel like a dummy. Uh, Will Clark was on the Rangers this year. It was JT Snow at first base. Just noticed that looking at walk rates. So that, that, JT, that was fun. JT Snow was a very likable player. Yes, he was. Um, Brock, I got a fun walk question for you. So Carlos Baerga, 2.1% walk rate. Who led baseball that year in walk percentage? It's not Frank Thomas at 21.1%. Mm. Yeah, so I'd be impressed if you got this right. Can I guess? Yeah, as long as you haven't looked, you can guess, yes. Yeah, Toby, what's your guess? Because, oh, man, if I, it wasn't Frank Thomas, that was the one, Frank Thomas was over 20% that year. Yeah, Frank was 21.1%. He was second place. This is super random. Mickey Tettleton. That is correct. You looked, didn't you? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I did not look now. I didn't look now, but I was looking by position uh, uh, earlier today. And I remember seeing him and being like, wait, wait a second. Mickey Tettleton yeah. had a 22% walk rate. Yeah. And I always thought of him as like a guy, you know, he had that batting stance where he just kind of like let the bat like kind of like hang straight out the bat. behind him. The, yeah, the totally. Big, ch- big chaw on his totally. right cheek. Yeah, him and Mickey, t- Mickey, uh, Mickey Morandini, right? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And, uh, and so he did that thing. And I thought, always thought he was a really high K guy. And he was for the time. But he walked 22% of the time that year. And I think what his strikeout rate was like 21%. So really high for the time, but like nothing compared to league average now. Yeah, looking at third place, Ricky Henderson, 19% walk rate. He only played in 87 games that year with 22 steals and a 411 OBP. Man, he must, yeah, he had to have gotten hurt. That would have been something uh, interesting to look at down the road. Um, a couple of pitching things to look at. This was the year that uh, Kenny Rogers oh. threw a perfect game. I, I so have one was... before we go on to before we go back on okay. to pitching. I have what a trivia um, for either of you: who won the Silver Slugger at second base in the American League? Oh, the American League and the American. The Astros League. were in the NL at this point in time, right? What's that? Astros were in the NL. Still. Astros were in the National League, correct? So not BGO. Ooh, second base. I, I I think I see it in front of me, so I don't want to cheat. I'll let Toby guess first, then I'll, I'll throw a guess uh, out. Because... I really want to go to the second base tab on Fangraphs and see. I didn't do that. I mean... Second baseman. <laughs> no, because there was like nobody. Was it Robbie Alomar? Well, he had a 2% walk rate. It was by Erga. It was. <laughs> <laughs> he was really good. I mean, he was really good back in the day. Switch hitter. Yeah, this was in his uh, Indians days. Pudgy. Yeah, yeah, he was Indians and Mets. That's correct. Uh, I was going to say Tony Phillips because somehow he had a 17% walk rate and a 20% K rate. Oh, Actually, man. decent numbers 19 homers, 13 steals. I was like, huh, interesting. Tony but, uh, Phillips. it is. Tigers. Tiger it is. Used to wag that bat like crazy. Oh yeah, yeah another, man. That was a thing, you know. Like so, like the baseball cards and stuff like that too. But you know, I I, I swear, my like my dad could go and and rattle off any name of any major league player, and I could just hop up right there in the uh, in the living room and show you their exact batting stance to a T. Any player Absolutely. in baseball. 
Yeah, I wish I I wish I had Twitter back in the day. We could have beat Bat Bat Stance guy to to the game because we oh, all yeah. did it as kids. We all did oh, it. Yeah. Okay, who had the best batting stance though? Uh, he was well, once a I'm teammate biased. of Carlos Baerga. He was once a teammate of Carlos Baerga. Once a teammate of Carlos Baerga. Yeah. Well, he had a lot of teammates. Um... He did, but he had a very unique batting stance. He didn't play with Sheffield. Julio Franco. Franco. You got it. Julio Franco. So Sheffield was close, but I saw Sheffield. Sheffield, yeah. He had the the wag going, but Julio, like, put the bat full on over his head. Like, I remember SportsCenter talking to him back then. Like, this this was when – I can't remember, like, Mike Tirico or one of those guys, Stuart Scott. It was was like the the old school sports center, but they were, I I swear they were doing an interview with him and and they were asking him about it. And he said, well, well, the way that he knows that, you know, that he's getting his batting stance right is if he can see the tip of the bat, like just over the head of the pitcher. And if he can't see the tip of the bat, just over the head of the pitcher, you know, in his peripheral vision while he's looking towards the pitcher, then he doesn't have his hands high enough. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a good thing you said Baerga's teammate because if you ever said Julio Franco's teammates, he played for like 28 years or something. That would have been a, a fun one. Yeah. He played forever. That guy was crazy. When he finished he playing in Major League Baseball, I think right? he went to – yeah, he, he, he was good. He was real good. He, he, was, um, he was with the White Sox that year, 20 homers, yeah. he was, eight stolen bases. Yeah. I think he was only he like was 47 that year too. Three, yeah, like 319. <laughs> 319 batting average. That is crazy. Crazy. Um, crazy stuff. Kenny Rogers, perfect game. That was a fun. I remember that one with the Rangers. That was a definitely momentous occasion. And then the big unit. We talked about David Cohn getting the Cy Young. Randy Johnson, almost 30% K rate, which is just nuts. When the, like Toby's got stats here, I'll let him go over them. But what he did was insane, Toby. Why don't you break it down a little farther for us? Yeah, so in 94, Randy Johnson had a 29.4% K rate, which was nearly twice league average of 15.9%. And so to put that into context, the equivalent strikeout rate for a pitcher in 2019 uh, compared to league average would be a 42.5% K rate. So Josh Hader? (laughs) Yeah, so Josh Hader in the rotation throwing 230 innings, right? It's nuts. Any any thoughts on the big unit there, uh, Brock? Like this, like what he did that year, just unheard of. And he still walked a lot of guys, which wasn't a thing. But maybe it was, you know, a big, like, uh, almost walked as many as Clemens uh, as well. Clemens had another a monster year that pretty comparable to what uh, the big unit did. If anybody's close to comparing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This was a, a big year for for the big unit. Um, he's coming off of a big season. Uh, his couple, his first couple of years there, though, you know, he was walking five, six guys per nine innings, and and uh, you know, this was his second year bringing that down. He had that under four, so a little bit less walks there. But um, you know, the the thing I remember about um, the big unit, uh, he he pitched in the All Star game. I'm sure you guys remember this. Yeah, John Crook wanted no part <laughs> of it. There was another year, Larry Walker wanted no part of it. I remember Larry Walker put on his batting helmet backwards and then went in and got in the batter's box right-handed, even though he was a left-handed hitter. Um, I I think that tells you everything you need to know um, uh, about the big unit. 
Yeah, he God. was absolutely filthy. He was just coming into his own. I mean, right around then, like you just look at some of the some of the work he did, like after '94. You know, when he got the walk rates reasonably reasonably low, he had twelve percent K minus walk, uh, twelve K minus twelve K per nine for six six consecutive seasons after '94. With yeah, yeah like mid, mid, mid to low 30% strikeout totals when the league was like, you know, 16, 17% on average. Yeah. Yeah. And that, was, that was a different thing too. You know, like um, the game was a lot more contact oriented as, as far as hitters go back then. You know, this guy was striking out a ton of guys when you know, guys really weren't. We, we talked about this right before we went on the air. You know, the amount of guys that were in starting rotations that would go out there and you know, strike out four and a half or five guys per nine innings. And, you know, those guys just don't exist anymore. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how it went. And, you know, a name like a blast from the past name that many might have suspected not being great, but forget how good he was. And I probably only remember this because he had like rookie of the year baseball cards and stuff was uh, Andy Bennis of the Padres. He put up a pretty solid 26% K rate, 7% walk rate. And uh, he got it done in a big, big way in the K to walk department. Toby, what did you have on him? Yeah, I just felt felt like this was just so striking. Andy Bennis led all starting pitchers, all qualified starting pitchers with a 19.3% K-minus walk rate. So you think about K-minus walk rate now, the league average for a starting pitcher is like 14.8%, I think. It was last year. I actually have it. I should just look at it. 14.4%. So like... It's just, you know, the league leader at that point in time, obviously well above what what the average is, but nobody had a 20% K-minus walk rate, you know, in that 20, in that 1994 season. Yeah, when Bennett's the big unit, then Brett Saberhagen, Shane Reynolds, man, I, I Shane Reynolds, underappreciated. I'm just going to throw that out there. Mm. That guy just continued to be like the ace for the Astros. And then big Pedro, Pedro Martinez getting it done for the Spos. Um, any final pitching thoughts, uh, Brock, before Toby takes us down a uh, comparison lane between 94 and 2019? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wish I could I could get these numbers together really quick and, and look at this, but I did notice that Black Jack McDowell for the White Sox, mm-hmm. um, kind of another pitcher that I paid a little bit of attention to, you know, the um, telecasts that were on right after, after school there. But, you know, he was a five-win pitcher um, in that shortened season. Um, and only 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings, um, you know, kind of a, a pitch to contact type of guy um, that season and, and still had a big season. I'd like to look through and see all the other five win pitchers we've had over the last handful of seasons and see if any of them um, struck out that few guys. I mean, I, I know, you know, probably I, I, I keep thinking of Mike Soroka last year, um, who was a guy that. Um, obviously had great results last year and, and won a rookie of the year or he won the rookie of the year. Well, anyway, um, great rookie year last year. And, and he was a guy that, you know, compared to everybody else, wasn't striking guys out and stuff like that. I'd, I'd like to compare um, Jack McDowell's season to some of those guys because um, I just, I feel like, you know, five win pitchers, if, if you're uh, uh, five wins above replacement, you know, you're, you're striking guys out now. And, and back then it, it wasn't really necessary. Yeah, you look at you look at Jack McDowell from ninety one to ninety four. He had six seven eight six one five 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 four and six three one K per nine, but he was basically five two four eight five two four. And I basically a five win pitcher all four seasons. 
He had uh, 17, 20, 22 wins in three of those seasons. He was a beast, an absolute beast. And like you said, wasn't striking anybody out. Just kept getting it done uh, time and time again. It's pretty impressive stuff there from Blackjack. I remember just this goofy guy. He looked like he was pissed off at the world on the mound. Um, <laughs> you wanted nothing to do with him. I, I remember that much for sure. So that, that was a fun one. Uh, Toby, why don't you take us down this comparison lane, 94 to 2019? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing that's so striking about comparing, I mean, 25 years has passed, so obviously the game is going to be a little bit different, but just the extent of how different it is. So these are comparisons between league average stats from 1994 uh, to 20, and 2019. So the league average batting average in 94 was 270. In 2019, it was 252. So an 18-point drop in batting average across the league over those 25 years. OBP is also uh, down 339 in 1994 and 323 in 2019. So a lot of that can be accounted for with the batting average, but still the fact that OBPs are lower today when we think about like how much the game has evolved and how we put so much more of an emphasis on OBP, but that's actually down, you know, 16 points uh, from 1994 is interesting. And slugging percentage is higher in 2019 by 11 points, 435 to 424 in 1994. What's really interesting though is runs per plate appearance is actually down. We know that 2019 was a huge offensive season. 94 was as well. Runs per plate appearance in 94, 12.65% compared to 12.58% in 2019. Uh, So it's just interesting. We think about home runs and accounting for a lot uh, greater number of the runs that are scored, but actually on a per plate appearance basis, lineups back in 94 were scoring more runs. RBIs per plate appearance, about um, a similar difference, 11.94% in 94 compared to 12.05% in 19 uh, or 2019. Uh, home runs per plate appearance, here is a huge difference. So 2.66% in 94, which again was a huge home run year. I know that Brock has some comparisons just in terms of per game that he's going to go over. But home runs per plate appearance, 2.66% in 1994. in 2019. So a full home run more per 100 plate appearances. Uh, Stolen bases, not surprisingly, also down 1.81% per plate appearance in 1994, down to 1.22%. So a huge drop there. I've mentioned some of the pitching-related ones, but I just think there's just such a big difference. 15.9% was the average K rate for pitchers in 94 it's now 23%, so over 7% higher in 2019. Walk rate is 4%, uh, 0.4% lower, so 8.9% in 94 to 8.5% in 2019. I talked about the K-minus walk rate. The average K-minus walk rate in 94 was 6.9%. It's now 14.4%. ERAs were actually identical in 1994 and 2019, 4.51. So the fact that they're all they're identical, but the way that pitchers went about getting those is super interesting. And I think um, we were talking beforehand, and and Brock pointed this out, but you can see the difference in how it's done in WHIP. Uh, WHIP 
was in 1994 was 1.43. So a lot more base runners compared to 1.33 in 2019. Uh, so a lot fewer hits, a lot more strikeouts um, making up uh, those outs. And then the K per nine was 6.22 on average in 1994. It was 8.88. So almost one strikeout per nine in 2019. And then Bubba, you mentioned complete games. And I promise this is the last in my endless list of numbers here, but complete games per per game started in 1994. It was pretty much 8%. So 8% of starts were complete games. And in 2019, it was 0.93%. So less than 1%. So less than one out of a hundred games in major league baseball uh, were complete games in 2019. So a huge difference in how, how games are, uh, how games are pitched now. Yeah, complete games back there are the quality starts we live in today. That's that's this comparison I'll give it to. Um, Brock, what were some of the, the takeaways like we were talking about beforehand that you were looking at like per uh, plate appearance and per game and whatnot? Yeah, so those are those were interesting numbers. Um, you know, what what stands stands out for me, you know, looking at the numbers, um, we've we've especially you know, fantasy baseball and, and even, you know, just in, in DFS, we talk so much about how different things were last season versus the couple of years leading up to it. Um, you know, the last few years, the, the approach at the plate has, has changed, hitting the ball in the air versus, you know, maybe kind of a, a line drive uh, approach that uh, preceded it. Um, so we know that, you know, so 2019 was a crazy year for home runs. So 1.4. Um, or, or essentially 2.8 home runs per game is is what we were looking at last year, and and that was a ton of home runs. Records were set all over the place. Um, Yankees, all all these teams, you know, like the Twins hit 200 or set a, uh, a franchise record for home runs. You know, so many home runs hit last year. So last year it was it was 2.8 um, home runs per game, and in the seasons leading up to that. Um, that number was more like 2.3, 2.5, um, you know, kind of in that range. So that's the jump we're looking at there. And so what stood out to me was 1994 was, was another one of those those years. Um, there, there was a huge jump in offense in 1994, just like there was here in 2019. You know, we, we were talking about, you know, Frank Thomas, all these guys, the, the huge years that they were having. But um, so – the, the couple of years um, previous to 1994, you're looking at like, you know, 1.4, 1.5 home runs a game. Um, and then all of a sudden you had 1994 where that, that number jumped all the way up to uh, a little bit more than two home runs a game. Um, you know, that that's that's a that's a pretty big jump. And, and that jump is really comparable to the jump that we saw um, here in uh, in 2019. So, you know, 2019. There's so many things that are changing, and, and we've also pretty well everybody's kind of um, nailed down that there was a different baseball in in play in 2019. Um, so kind of a, an interesting thing here, you know, we had a, a, a similar jump in home runs in 1994, and right before we started recording here, we were kind of having this discussion. You know, what do we think brought about this jump in home runs? Was was there a difference in approach then? Maybe 1994 was a year that they introduced a new ball. Um, and then we started digging back through the numbers. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what did we come across? I'm pretty sure it was steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're going to go with on this one because 
it's really uh, interesting. You watch it like the year 94, you see everything kind of jump a little bit more than we, we saw previously. The home runs went from 0.89 in 93 to 1.03 in uh, 94. And it, it kind of, that's the pitcher side of things. Let me get to the hitter side um, as, as you'll get even more fun with this one. Um, 94, there were no same thing, 0.89 to 1.03. That wouldn't change. Duh. But um, you, you see the home runs continue to rise. They get back from baseball, still over one. It never drops below one again until 2010. But you see this rise, rise, rise. We remember in 2000s, you know, Bonds and all those guys are going crazy. 2001, you even had Luis Gonzalez hit 50-plus homers. And then 2002, it drops a little bit. Then 2004, it comes back up. It goes strong, like I said, until 2007. Then you see a little decline, and it goes low, low, low. And then it starts bouncing back up in 2016 to last year's astronomical number. Uh, you mentioned the ball last year, 2017. We saw the ball, 1.26 home runs in 17, 1.39 in 2019. So if you just watch the curve that's formed, like I don't have a graph in front of me, but you can kind of see the peak and valley here. It was when steroids, like in 94, they maybe just started, you would think. They get back in 95. Then we see, you know, McGuire and Sosa do their thing in the late 90s. Bonds is there, all those guys. And it just starts climbing up. And then when people start getting mad and like, oh, wait, let's not turn our blind eye anymore, it kind of starts going down again. But now we're back to that. You see strikeout rates going up like you guys talked about. But but the interesting thing that we saw is as the batting averages went down, the OBPs, sure, they went down, but then they kind of like just plateaued. For me, at least it looked interesting. They kind of stayed around 320-ish, give or take a little bit, even though the batting average just kept dropping. So guys were walking a little bit more, but you weren't seeing stolen bases. Those all kept falling down. The power department went up. So as you guys were talking about, approach to the plate changed. Uh, you saw pitchers striking out more guys. The whip uh, varied, as you guys talked about as well. So I think the conclusion, Brock and, and Toby, is steroids maybe began a little sooner than people think. At least that's what I'm kind of garnering out of this. What are your thoughts, Toby? Yeah, I mean, what's super interesting to me is we talk about the steroid era and we talk about how everybody needs an asterisk and like, you know, you know, all, all that jazz, nobody belongs in the Hall of Fame uh, who use steroids. And it's like, you know, you look at the home run rates of that era compared to like 2019, and it's it not even close, blows, you know? It blows it out of the water. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like... 2016 blew it out of the water. Yeah. So it's like, you know, yes, obviously, like they had a choice to do that. They chose to do that. Um, one could argue like the culture of baseball and pitchers were also using it. Um, but it's just fascinating to me because it's like, yeah, 2019 is just such an anomaly, like 1.4 home runs per team game. So essentially 2.8 home runs per game, like Brock, Brock was saying, compared to the steroid area, that era, which kind of peaked at 1.17 in 2000. Right. And, and we've already seen, you know, essentially two years in the last three that are above that. And so when you think about comparing like apples to apples, like, I mean, now it seems like more guys hit more home runs, you know, like it's more the de democratization, if you will, of home runs in the sense that like more people now are hitting more Then it was just these, these stars that just absolutely that, that the home run numbers were astronomical, but it's just interesting to me that like, you know, so much can change, whether it's steroids, whether it's the ball that impacts like what the actual, um, you know, skill level of players are. So let's just compare players to each other of the same era and figure out who was good and who wasn't. 
And by that token, it's like Barry Bonds is the greatest ever. And let's just put him in the Hall of Fame. That's my point. <laughs> well, that's why they call it eras. Like I, I've said it forever. Like if you want, if you wanted this, like dislike steroids for whatever, I, I get it. I understand. They're, they were illegal. They, they, they did enhance people. But let's just go, let's talk about the Greeny era. Let's talk about all these, like, all these different eras that no one cares about that everyone took place with in baseball. So that's a whole other story. But I was going to say the comparison between the steroid era when home runs started peaking and then the last like four years, new commissioners needing to put butts in seats. There's a big trend in what home runs do. That's why I always use the gif, chicks dig the long ball from Glif- uh, Glavin and Maddox. Because you see when these big peaks happened, like it was right after the strike season in 94, they needed to get butts in the seats. Sosa McGuire did their thing. If you want to read that book, it's an amazing book about their home run race. In the last three or four years, Manfred's taken over. People are saying baseball's losing its fans, all these things. Let's hit home runs and put butts in seats. So that's my two cents on that. What's your thoughts on this, Brock? Do you think it's steroids? Are you with us on this, or do you have a different uh, opinion? No, um, definitely um, kind of that, you know, what we were looking at before we started recording there. We are kind of going through and looking at these these different seasons these guys were having. Um, Ken Caminetti was an interesting example. You know, a guy, it's like fifth, sixth year in the league. He was hitting 13 home runs. Like, he did it three years in a row, actually. Like, you know, 13 homers every year. And then uh, all of a sudden there was there was 94, which he, he only hit, you know, uh, I think it was 18 or whatever, but extrapolated out over a full season. It was like, you know, 25 or whatever. Then the next season he hit 26 and then he hit 40. You know, like a, a, a guy that just didn't have a lot of power and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, he's hitting all these home runs. And, of course, he was one of the first ones um, to be busted for steroids. I think, uh, you know, a lot of us are going to remember that. But, you know, as far as the Hall of Fame discussion goes, too, I mean, you know, like like when you start looking through these numbers, looking at the, the pitcher's numbers and stuff and, you know, strikeouts, strikeouts per game or you know, you're looking like 11.6, 11.5 strikeouts per game for like years and years and years. And all of a sudden in 1994, you know, they jump up to like 12 and a half and then up to 13, you know, shortly after that. And then they stay, you know, kind of in that range until like 2010 when they hit 14. I mean, um, it, let's not forget, it's not like the pitchers, you know, weren't using steroids and stuff back then too. So Bingo. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of tough to, to put the blame on like Barry Bonds or, or a handful of those hitters when, you know, everybody was kind of into it and, um, you know. Well, and, and the thing is, we already have Bagwell, who there's pretty good evidence he was there. Pudge Rodriguez has actually been proven he's taken steroids. Uh, there, there's a handful of guys that are in the Hall of Fame now. So they just need to get off their high horse and let like Bonds and Clemens in. Like these guys were legit good. Like just let them in. They were pretty much the best of their era. Uh, you mentioned Caminetti. If you guys want to have some fun, go look up Brady Anderson, a blast from the past. Uh, 96, he hit 50 home runs. That was a, a fun one. Luis Gonzalez hit over 50 like in 2001 or 2002. So uh, there's some names that just make you stand out and go, hmm, okay. So the, that that was uh, pretty fun stuff. We've gone through everything on the outline as of now, gentlemen. Brock, did you have anything else? I know this is a subject that you were very intrigued by. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, th- this was just this was a lot of fun. Um, definitely, you know, like kind of had that idea. I was going through, I, I made those, I don't know. I was just kind of bored one day looking back through some old, um, some old seasons. I think I looked through like 2011 and how everybody there was like hit 50 home runs and had 40 stolen bases. Like the whole first round of, of fantasy drafts that year was stacked and, 
uh, kind of going back. And then I got stuck in 1994, so I really want to take a look back. Um, but before I jump off, um, for for those of you still listening, uh, I, I wanted to give a shout out um, to all the first responders, to the nurses, to the doctors um, that are out there putting in um, all the overtime and, and working uh, working their butts off and being the uh, the heroes right now. Second that one. Uh, second that one big time. Um, and I, I, I was a bad host and I missed it on the outline uh, online. You wanted to mention one other thing as well that we saw online today that really took a lot of, at least took me by surprise. Yeah, definitely. So it was it was interesting fan graphs that kind of mentioned um, about how this pandemic has um, taken effect with, with them, um, how it's uh, affected their revenue stream. You know, baseball is not being played, so people aren't jumping on fan graphs. Um, so th- this is a website. Um, I don't know how many times we've mentioned it in this podcast. I don't know how many times you guys have mentioned it in, in your other podcasts. I know it's the backbone, backbone of all the research that I've done for DFS for, for the websites that I've written for for the last however many years. Um, uh, Fangraphs is just it's, – it's, it's just so important and um you know it's been free for a long time and and if you really dig deep you can kind of see the stories of why um you know what what they spend their money on and and you know this is this is a site it's kind of this is this is the baseball fans fans site this is this is the people's site we've we've really got to support these guys um that are that have been putting out this great work for for so long so um yeah just wanted to give a shout out for fan graphs you know if you know, pay for a membership. It's as low as like three bucks a month or something like that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Toby, final thoughts on 1994. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think uh, what Brock mentioned, just those last two shout outs, uh, definitely second those. Uh, I think um, that's awesome. There are more important things in the game that we're, that we're, uh, we're focused on right now, but for 94, it was just a blast to go back. Thanks, Brock, for, for raising the idea. You're, I think you're the first guest ever on uh, Above in the Batflip show. So it was awesome to have you and just kind of go back. I mean, I was I was 12, not to age myself. I was 12 when that 94 season happened. So just like in the midst of, you know, just being a huge baseball fan and, and doing all of those batting stances. And so it was really a trip down memory lane thinking about that, thinking about a World Series Baseball '95. So, uh, thanks a lot for for uh, for for joining me on the on the trip and and for suggesting it, Brock. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, had a great time. Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime can take a break from other things, take a break from work, take a take a break from the Twitter news, and just just kind of hang out with my buddies and talk baseball. Um, it's a good day. Most definitely. And I, I second uh, everything Brock said about the first responders and fan graphs and all that stuff. Uh, support them all and thank them all because they've been a great. Like I, I told Toby on the show last week, even when I just go to the grocery store, I, I make a point to say thank you to each person I see there because they look miserable and scared to death. So um, I, I don't blame them at all. But uh, one last thing, it was great going down memory lane here. Just like I wish I kind of wish I would have pressed record on our first half an hour just because we were just having so much fun just going through the stat pages. But um, it, it was really cool. Definitely do this again sometime if it's just talking bonds or something else. And uh, I, I also want to say thanks, Brock, for joining us. For those that might not know, this is my 267th episode. Brock was like on episode three or four. So um, he, he was one of my first guests. So it's a pleasure doing this again with you, my friends.
Yeah, hopefully it's not another 263 before we do another. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it won't be. It won't be. It definitely won't be. <laughs> that, that's for darn sure. Uh, but uh, we will definitely do it again sometime. Everybody check him out on Twitter at Brock Ness Monster. Uh, does great work over there. At uh, I, I screw it up every time. Is it Guru Elite now or Fantasy Guru? At, at present time, it's it's Elite Fantasy. Um, Elite Fantasy. So I, I've got a link in my Twitter bio if you want to take a look over there. Um, hit me up in my inbox. I can explain to you the kind of stuff that I work on for those guys. If if you're into playing baseball DFS, um, you know, hit me up. Yep, check him out. And then Toby's on Twitter at Batflip Crazy, of course. I'm at Pediatric. Everybody, thanks for listening. Bubba and the Batflip, episode 30, your 1994 review. Catch you guys later.